0: runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 265 with guest Stephen Morawski. recorded Monday, May 14th, 2012. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quap Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com you can follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and you're listening to Run As Radio. And with me today is Stephen Murowski. And Stephen is a senior Windows system engineer for EdgeNet and a Microsoft MVP in PowerShell. In this role, he supports a dynamic infrastructure that pushes the boundaries of the Windows platform. Stephen is a founding member of PowerShellMagazine.com, an online publication dedicated to PowerShell content focused for the system administrator, developer, and DBA. Steven also heads two local user groups, the Greater Milwaukee IT Pro User Community and the Greater Milwaukee Script Club. He speaks regularly at local user groups and can be found at various conferences, which is where I always see you. It seems like I only ever see you at conferences. I didn't even realize you lived in Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, I uh, normally uh, get to bump into you at like TechEd or something along those
0: lines. Yeah, any one of those technology shows. Are you coming to TechEd this year?
1: Unfortunately, I will not. I had to make some choices uh, about conferences. Spring's a uh, busy time with uh, for me, and uh, we have a new baby, and so I had to make a couple of choices. I chose the PowerShell Deep Dive this year.
0: Ah, okay. Well, congratulations on one hand, and very wise move to take care of She Who Must Be Obeyed. Yeah. You know, you can't leave them alone all the time. First child? Yes, it, it is. It gets easier. Don't worry. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's it's been great so far.
0: Yeah, it's, it is good fun. The mine are teenagers now, so the dynamics are a little different.
1: Yeah, good deal.
0: Yeah. So uh, PowerShell version three. This is only in Server twenty twelve.
1: Well, it's Server twenty twelve. It's there natively, and then uh, there is a beta out currently for uh, Server two thousand eight R two, Windows seven, and uh, Server two thousand eight
0: nice and we and we know that Microsoft get things right on the third version, right
1: yeah that's that's usually the- that's usually the pattern, so you know we've we've gotten some pretty good uh some pretty good stuff out of the PowerShell team with version two as well mm-hmm. uh version version three though is a whole other ball game, really, oh yeah,
0: and you're saying that in a good way, I hope
1: oh yeah, definitely. The things that I found that I don't like about PowerShell version three are really nitpicky mm hmm But the good stuff in there is game-changing. It's totally changing management for me, personally,
0: my environment. But, you know, so the real thing to speak about is, what did you not like in V2? You
1: know, remoting, it it was awesome that we got it, Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't very flexible, and it wasn't very durable, and, you know, it it, it definitely wasn't SSH.
0: Well, and it was a V1 feature, right? Like, it it was pretty brittle.
1: Yeah. And that, that's completely come back around. Now it's extremely robust. It can deal with network disconnects. You can disconnect and reconnect sessions. Nice. So I can start work off one machine, disconnect the session, come back, um, and then reconnect to it from another complete and pick up right where I left off. And it makes, uh, it makes it, the remoting feature much more of a viable, consistent management.
0: Right. Thing. Well, the same way, you know, you know, a tool we just forget about using, but it works because it works so perfectly is RDP right? Just, yeah. just works. You know, I could drop a session, open it on another machine, you know, bap, 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 never think about it at all. So it's good to see PowerShell headed in that direction.
1: Yeah. RDP as a management tool though, is just evil.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> and it, and this is the, you know, you get to the reality, which is if you've got to remote into the machine to get to its console, you're already in trouble.
1: Yeah. It's it just, you know, it, it's a great, it's a great feature. It just doesn't scale.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know management nowadays is all about scaling. You know we, we all have fewer and fewer, you know, resources to uh, do the administration, but we have more and more machines to deal with and, and virtualization just, you know, loads the number of machines that we have to deal Oh with. yeah. So you just you have to scale your management and you know the command line and scripting and automation that's, that's the way that
0: happens. So maybe we should run down the sort of hot feature list Really, what's the difference here in V three? What are there? What's the the overall focus?
1: Well, the overall focus is scale out management, mm-hmm. and there's a number of enhancements in in the product to to deal with that. Um, the remoting stuff we just talked about, um, where they enhance the durability of the sessions and and the you know, ability to disconnect and reconnect. But there's also features in remoting now for delegated administration. One of the tough things to do in version 2 was to set a delegated endpoint where you could say, okay, these junior admins, they can connect to this point and act under credentials that have more rights than they normally would right. for certain tasks. I see. Now there's some tooling around creating these endpoints, setting them with an admin credential, but locking them down to just a handful of commands that they're going to need to
0: use. Oh, so... Y- now, how granular is that lockdown? Is it a particular object group, like a an exchange set or a, or a SQL set? Like, what? How do you? How granular are we talking?
1: We can go down command by command.
0: So you can actually say this guy gets these four commands, or I guess the more logical way here is this guy can run this script, which needs these features.
1: Correct, and you could say, you know, you could say um, you can go by user and, and do role based access control, or you can go by access point or mm-hmm. by uh, entry point, and basically say. Anyone who I give rights to connect to this endpoint, because each endpoint can have a custom ACL. Right. Um, whoever can connect to this endpoint is going to run under this user context and they have rights to these five commands or this particular module, so they can deal with link or deal with exchange or and and you know, these handful of commands out of the exchange module. Nice. And they're not going to get language modes. So they can't do custom scripting. They can only run interactively the commands that we say they can, mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm. it's in, whether it's a native command or whether it's a script that you provided. And you have much more control over the environment that they land in.
0: Nice. And it, and it's true, like I said, it's true delegate administration here that because he was able to connect to that endpoint, he gets delegated these particular sets of privileges.
1: Yep. And there's an, there's a, a nice side effect. This. Mm-hmm. So whenever you deal with PowerShell remoting, there's a credential issue, right? And it's because it's hosted in a service, uh, unlike RDP, which we just mentioned, where it creates a full user session around your uh, around your connection. Yep. Yeah. When you're connecting into PowerShell remoting, you're actually hosting the WinRM service on the box, and there's a you know the, the Windows security model says, hey, services can't just go willy nilly and hand out your credentials everywhere. Right. you have to specifically do a couple of things to enable a service to pass off your credentials. And there's, and there's a number of commands, especially in the Exchange and the link and um, clustering and um, Hyper-V modules, where they need to pass on your credentials um, to something outside of your immediate PowerShell session. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you, delegated administration gets around that because now you're running a service under that user's, under the user's account that you you know delegated that account to,
0: right?
2: That you
1: set up for that, for that account. So now we get rid of that second hop authentication.
0: That we yeah, you don't have to create a new authenticated entity on the machine you're trying to get to. Especially when you talk about automating the script to make it run. Say I, I literally want to walk across a dozen machines. If you were doing it without delegation, you'd be recreating, calling to AD for each machine. Like that would slow things down horribly. Ah, okay. So, dele- yeah, delegation makes a big difference here, especially for performance.
1: Yeah. And you know, and one of the, one of the other nice little features around remoting is they made it easier to get information from your current session where you're, you know, where you're maybe maybe you've done some prep work, yeah. and populated some variables or created some objects. It made it easier to get that stuff into a, a command that you want to run remotely, mm-hmm. and. Basically, they just give you a little syntax around it. You do dollar sign using colon, and you give it your variable name. And so PowerShell remoting those, grab that from your host session.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Before, what you had to do is you had to create a parameter block inside your remote command and pass it arguments. Right. And so there was a little more ceremony around it. This is just a nice little feature to make it easier to reach out. And then you also know when you look at the code, hey, this is actually referring back to variables from my
0: host session. So there's a bi-directional communication going on between the hosted session and the, the remote session while executing. Correct. All right. So you get this idea of sort of that management console entity. Again, when I think about the real power of PowerShell, it's writing scripts that enumerate a group of machines on the fly and then act on those machines as a group you know, iteratively. And that to me seems hugely powerful to have that common host across all of those you can figure out what you've succeeded at, what you failed at you know sort of gather information together and propagate that to the next machine along the way
1: yeah it it's it's hugely beneficial when when you're when you' talking about scaling out your management mm-hmm. and now talking about you know resilient scale out management, this is probably one of the marquee features for PowerShell version three and that's workflow well. now. This is a v1 re- feature, so there are some rough edges, mm-hmm. but the capabilities it provides gives you the ability to have long-running, resilient activities that can persist past server reboots, service restarts. Um, you know, if, if you hit a major failure, you can have this persist the disk, so you can come back later and fix it and pick up right where you left off. Wow! And, and in, in the provisioning and configuration management game, that's huge. You know, and it's got all the capabilities of PowerShell remoting. So not only can you do that, you know, target a workflow at one machine, you can target it at 500, 1,000. You know, it just scales right out.
0: Well, and yeah, you're clearly pushing against some issues I've dealt with where it's like, all right, I pushed this set of requests, classically an update to 500 machines and 460 of them. It just works. And yep. forty of them, something went wrong. You get fairly useless error messages. You don't know exactly where it failed, and so forth. And generally, you just have to go run each the script on each machine individually and watch it execute to see what the failure was. And now, right.
1: or or you might have in one of those steps something you can't run a second time without you know mangling the state on that box.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's getting an unrecoverable state.
1: Yeah, there's going to be certain changes you make that you don't want to try to make again.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can't just reapply it.
1: Yep, there's a nice thing with workflow, it's workflow foundation under the covers. Mm-hmm. So they're reusing that investment, they didn't have to create their own workflow engine or anything along those
0: lines. Nice, because this thing is all dependent on .NET.
1: Yes, yeah, PowerShell version 3 runs on .NET 4, mm-hmm. and uh, and with that, it actually gets a lot of benefits, uh, including work. Uh, workflow is one of them right um but it's now we we'll spend a dlr oh interesting and and that is huge from the performance standpoint yeah that. Th-
0: and then for those who've never run across the dlr this is the dynamic li- uh runtime library and this yep. was originally created for iron python but also for iron ruby but it's just this you know you when you look at really the language the behavior around powershell it's a very dynamic language and so, yeah, it makes sense to me that DLR would become a, an important player in there.
1: Yeah, it it, it actually makes the story for developers a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And so it, it provides, a, provides a better interop story. So hopefully that's going to encourage more developers to start embedding PowerShell in their
0: application. Yeah, interesting point. Yeah, if, if you loved working in Lisp for your management, you know, that you know, another dynamic language that would be a great thing to replace uh Lisp.
1: Yeah, Lisp or, you know, the, you, you see you see this approach on the on the Nick side of things in a lot of cases where you have, you know, tools built up with with the scripting engine yeah. side. You know, tickle PK is a, you know, common example you'd see embedded in all sorts of places. You know, a lot of your Cisco stuff has tickle has a uh, tickle in it. Mm-hmm. Um you know you so you, you see these, you know, in scripting engines embedded everywhere, and it'd, it'd be nice to have a nice, consistent one that admins are familiar with. Yeah. In more applications.
0: Well, yeah. yeah. And especially third party products. I mean, it's interesting to think about that. That we could get to a place where, uh, you know, I went into my managed switch and it spoke PowerShell.
1: We can actually uh, get to something like that with this release. Oh, really? And yeah. Uh, so this is one of the, this is uh, another kind of, this, when I heard this feature explained, it took me a little while for it to really sink in the implications, mm-hmm. but server 2012 has a pretty good coverage in command list. There's about 2,400 command lists in the box, uh, you know, across all the roles and features.
0: Right. And we're just talking about what's built into 2012. We're not talking about Exchange or SQL Server, IIS, or, oh, I guess IIS is technically built in, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, IIS is a, is, a, is a role, so that... Uh, but. With that kind of coverage, that jumps up from about 400 on server 2008 R2. Wow. When you add all, when you add all the rows and features. Well, the reason they got that dramatic amount of coverage is because they they came up with a uh, command source adapter and they implemented it for WMI. And hmm. pretty much all the Microsoft products that, you know, WMI has, you know, it's reached into just about average. Sure. And so they implemented this command source adapter and Targeted at WMI to give, us, to give us a reference implementation of how this gets used. And then there's some XML documents that they have, a CDXML file that they use to describe how to map a PowerShell command to the, XM, to the uh, WMI API. Wow. And so when you import a module that has these CDXML commands in there, PowerShell creates proxy commands for all of those, for all those described functions. So it's mapping the WMI calls behind the scenes for you. And now you have PowerShell coverage.
0: And that just hugely lowers the bar for implementing PowerShell against your app.
1: Right. Now, here, here's here's the mind-blowing part. This job source or the command source adapter mm-hmm. is not specific to WMI. It's an API that anybody can implement. Really? So that means if you have a Java-based management app, or something written in C++ or something running on your network switch and some custom, you know, uh, some custom language. Yep. As long as you can implement this API and have stuff talk back and forth, doesn't matter the protocol or anything else, you know, the, the command source adapter would, be, would handle the, you know, the, the communication. You can provide a front end PowerShell Uh, PowerShell
0: management option. Wow, that's pretty. That's amazingly powerful. What does the language or the syntax look like? Are we still making commandlets, parameter lists, or are we just like passing block strings? I I hate to say it, but immediately I jump. Is this DDE or is it com?
1: No, this is, uh, the commands that are generated are PowerShell Mm commandlets and they're they're generated and implemented by the command time. Whatever they're running behind the Mm scenes, It's going to depend on what that job source adapter is. And sure. That, that would actually be implemented in .NET because um, it's going to plug into the PowerShell runtime. Right. But it's only that thin layer that has to, you know, do the interpretation back and forth.
0: Yeah, I mean, the main thing here is not having to re-implement all the, the WMI API calls.
1: Right. Then the hard work becomes figuring out what your nouns are going to be with verb, and then your verbs for, you know, your gets, your sets, your ads, and getting those things to... uh you know, map up to your API, but that's, um, that's a mapping matter. And, and there's a tool that they, you can use to actually, uh, generate some of these, uh, XML files so that, you know, they've automated or they've at least put some tooling around doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes, it, it makes for an interesting experience. And it, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how that develops. I'd love to be able to reach out to my switches and to my firewall. Oh yeah. You know, and script out the, you know, or, or my blade centers or, you know, any, you know, or my larger servers that have management partitions and be able to manage the hardware directly on the box. And, you know, be able to consolidate that all into one management language would just be huge.
0: Yeah, hugely beneficial. Like, to just, just, well, just think about the script to you know, really evil stuff like dealing with firewall configuration for a given app that it could all be just part of the PowerShell script. You don't have these separate processes like, you know, all the times we've come up with crazy technologies to to try and circumvent those issues. And that would be the solution.
1: Oh, right. I'd be able to get rid of, you know, I've got some uh, wacky scripts that go out and parse firewall configs Mm -hmm. and wrap, you know, calls that wrap SSH calls to go out and do updates and things to kind of streamline some stuff in, you know, adding adding firewall rules in my environment because it's kind of a the command line for the firewall is kind of a pain. So yeah. wrap some common functions and but if they would implement a
0: command source adapter, a lot of that pain goes away. Yeah. And yeah, I guess the question is is or do we have still have to incent each company to do this, or is this something that could almost be done third party?
1: Uh, it could probably be done third party as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, as long as the technology you're going against has some sort of API, has a
0: published API. Like, he, yeah, think about the like the, what's happened with Wireshark and, and technologies like that, where the community's just taken over and created all the plugins you need for just about anything. And it, you know, we we could go. We're it feels like we're setting ourselves up for that path that you could suddenly. You know, just everything could be plugged into it, and it doesn't matter what you want to talk to. It's all there.
1: Well, yeah. I think once this, you know, API kind of gets finalized and it's out to RPM and the community gets a hold of it, I think you're going to see a lot of developments along that line. Mm-hmm. The PowerShell community, it's a great community, and there's some really smart people in there, and they love digging into doing, and doing stuff like this and just, you know,
0: doing doing
1: crazy stuff with PowerShell that you wouldn't expect it to be able to do And there's... There's probably a plus project or a script out there for
0: it. Uh, without a doubt. Yeah, they, anybody talks to me about PowerShell, it's like, search first, man. Don't work from scratch. But I I got to say, one of the reasons for that is writing PowerShell from scratch isn't that easy. It really does lend itself to a cut-and-paste behavior, that you go search for somebody's implementation of something, and you can usually adapt that to what you want to do.
1: Well, it, it- Hey, you know, if it's a if it's a solution that goes and reaches into WMI or COM or mm-hmm. .NET, where, where you have to go kind of outside of native PowerShell commands, then yeah, then it it does lend itself, you know, some copy paste, you know, editing and that. But in in the in the case where you know you're writing PowerShell by hand and working with something that has a well-designed PowerShell API, mm-hmm. you know, PowerShell Management API, then um, it's really not so much that PowerShell's hard to write, it's, PowerShell might take, it just takes a little time to get used to the, uh, way of doing things. Right. And the idioms around PowerShell. And once you have that figured out, then anything that exposes native PowerShell commands becomes really simple to script around.
0: And, and, but it's one of those things I think you definitely need to practice routinely to get smooth yeah. at it. Yeah, I I find myself not doing it often enough, and I have to go and read for a while, get back into it again. Have even you know go? Hey, you ever had that experience? Where you go back look at your own script and go. So what was I thinking here? I know this oh, yeah. works, but uh, you know what does it mean?
1: Oh, oh, definitely. And yeah, you know, then that, that that comes down to you know, like you said, having time in and, and putting the time into doing it and getting comfortable with the with language and with using it as your commands prompt mm-hmm. and, you know, just doing, doing general day-to-day stuff out of it. And that just keeps, you know, some of that syntax right, right fresh in your mind. And, um, yeah, it, it definitely uh, can help you uh, become a little more fluent.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: But, you know, with, with PowerShell and that's the same with any language, you know, I, I do a little bit of C# sharp development, sure. and I find that when I haven't done it for a while, and I come back on, oh, you know, this works in PowerShell. Oh wait, no, I got to remember I need semicolons at, at the end of every line, and yeah, you know, <laughs> just some things that you know you, you don't bump into in, in some of the other environments you're in. So yeah, there, there's all there, you know, the things that you don't use every day or you know once a week. They can require a bit of a refresher. Unfortunately, there are tons of blog posts, tons of sample scripts. Of, uh, you know, tons of community-contributed projects that can give you a jumpstart in many, many areas.
0: For sure. Uh, and obviously, you've been involved in that community for the very early days with stuff like PowerShellMagazine.com and the like. like they, it's just amazing how much there is in the way of resources up there. Are we actually starting to see some V3 stuff show up? I mean, we're still in the consumer preview phase of this, right?
1: Yeah, th- there's actually a, been a, a good amount of V3 content that's been, uh, making its way out and amongst the various blogs and, uh, resources and communities around PowerShell. Uh, I myself have been a little hesitant to put too much out there because a lot of, a lot of the, I remember with version two, a lot of the stuff that referred to the, you know, the early CTPs and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, that stuff changes. There, there's yeah. potential to change and, you know, there were, there, I remember a lot of times finding stuff on the CCP when I was searching for V2 RTM, you know, the released version um, information. So I'm a little more hesitant about putting putting a lot out there on V3, um, but talking conceptual stuff about what's going on with V3, I, I think's a uh, you know a, a definite win because we, PowerShell team is very community responsive, mm-hmm. and we want many people. You know, as the community, we want as many people to get their hands on the bits, poke around, see what they like, what they don't like, and get that feedback back to them. Um, you know, now we're a little further along the development cycle, so, you know, it might be stuff that ends up more on the more uh, line of V next. But if there's, you know, bugs or implementation, you know, stuff that's going to block implementation, you know, we need to get them that information before this is RTM.
0: Well, and it does feel like we're going to be able to get ourselves in more trouble with PowerShell now than we ever had before. You know, this whole workflow side of things, you, I can imagine, you know, what, what would you consider long running? Like I could see you setting up a workflow that runs for days, maybe almost in a supervisory or a monitoring role. Like you, you always want it running on that machine.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's entirely possible. And, you know, long running. You know, it, it's got the capability to persist, persist to disk.
0: Yeah, and survive a reboot. I think that's the big, you know, to me, I, it seems like long-running means surviving reboots.
1: Yep, and, and service restarts, because this is running in a, host, in a service that's hosted on the machine. Right. So if you have something that, you know, would cause a service to restart, you need to be able to deal with that, too. Yeah. You know, and very often, it's a reboot that's restarting your service, but <laughs> you you need to be able to handle it. In those type of situations and
0: yeah being able to shut down the engine you're running in and then when you bring it back up it picks up where it left off
1: yeah and, and what's very nice is you know there's a cost of persisting to this mm-hmm. so so the PowerShell workflows give you the option of whether you want to persist after every activity or whether you want to persist just at that particular point and you can specify where you'd like it to persist so if there's a section you don't care gets run time and time again. Yeah, you, know, you can let that happen and not not take the hit of uh, writing to disk all the time.
0: Right. Definitely, it's an exception circumstance. It's oh, bad's oh, about to happen here. We better get to disk.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Uh, for like provisioning activity, I don't see any problem in persisting to disk after every activity because you know what? The, those couple of uh, you know, that little bit of performance hit that you're going to take, mm-hmm. I'd rather just make sure everything happened discreetly and not have to kind of guess as to where things left off or, or get errors when I try to reconfigure something that's already
0: been configured. Well, and just having a sense of what the failure modes are around a given piece of code. It's like, hey, there's no reason you couldn't just run this again. So why do I need to persist? It'll It'll recover. Okay. You know, if you get yeah. shut down in the middle of it for whatever reason, it's not the end of the world. You know, there's such a thing as getting, and and you know somebody's going to abuse that save to disk feature. You get too paranoid. It's like save everything all the time.
1: Yeah, and you know the, um, I think the tricky thing that's going to be with workflow is these are Windows Workflow Foundation workflows. Mm-hmm. It's not just PowerShell. It's right. Not just workflow, but it's 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 a hybrid of these two things. So uh, to declare a workflow. It's very much like declaring a PowerShell function. Yeah. But you use the keyword workflow. But everything else looks very much like your function. Mm -hmm. It is not as simple though as taking and swapping the words workflow and function. Yeah, I bet. There's good, you know, there's going to be some uh, intricacies there and some differences in the experience of putting together a workflow. And understanding scoping is a little different Mm -hmm. than it is in a a PowerShell script. and so is uh, you know so is how you have to call commands. You can't use positional parameters in a in a workflow. You have to declare which which parameter you're uh, filling out. Uh, so everything's got to be named. So there, there are a couple of there are a couple of differences. And then once you get into the runtime, how the how it actually behaves running is a little different. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, as we get closer to R T M you're going to start seeing more and more stuff. There's actually been a few posts on the PowerShell team blog and uh, a few other people have posted some stuff around workflow. Um, but I think as as we march on and more people dig into this, uh, you start seeing some uh, posts about what the gotchas are and you know, what you need to come up with a, you know, a, a good workflow.
0: Yeah. Keep yourself from getting into too much trouble with it. Cause it does sound like you get pretty tangled up and, yeah, you know, I actually I've always felt like PowerShell's fairly tricky to debug anyway. So I got to imagine a long running workflow is going to be tough to debug as well.
1: Well, and that, this could be you know you know due to a lack of familiarity with languages, language as much, but I, you know the error messaging that PowerShell gives you is is usually pretty good. Yeah, um, there's a fully qualified error ID which is not localized, and so when you get, when you hit one particular error, you will always get this. Non-localized fully qualified error ID, which is a great search term. You know, the, set, the second thing is you, you'll get the location in the script or in the, in the command that you ran that bumped into an error, mm-hmm. and so they, they, they kind of tell you, "Hey, this is the last thing that we could really parse validly, and might want to start looking there for your error." Yeah. and they do a, they do a pretty good job of you know pointing pointing to where, you, where you're going to have problems. Um, you know, now you do need to be familiar with, you know, and be able to pick up and read a PowerShell script. I think PowerShell scripts personally are pretty readable, but I've been doing this for for a while, so I I could be a little biased on mm-hmm. that. Um, but they they do try to point you to, you know, as much as you can, you know, to where you might have issues. And the error handling capabilities in PowerShell, at least, you know, starting with version two, um, with having try catch, uh, try catch finally blocks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know just the uh you know the ability to catch and uh, deal with immediately uh errors around particularly troublesome bits of code, um, really helps there. Yeah, sure. Rather than just having a, a top level trap statement.
0: Well, and you get into, you know, what is sort of the best practice here when you're dealing with complex PowerShell code? It's do I check to see if I have the privilege or just try and do something and let it fail if I don't have the privilege? Or, you know, if I need to get something for a particular resource, do I check to see if that resource is there or just try and fetch it and see if it fails? And and I don't know if you have any opinions around right ways to do those things.
1: Yeah, and... You know, it, 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 uh, in part, it's on the commands you're using. Some mm-hmm. commands handle, the you know, they'll handle that error better than others, uh, or you know, they'll uh, the way that the way that they if if they fail silently, then that's something you want to test for beforehand. And I tend to test those type of things beforehand because I don't want to have to know a lot necessarily about all the commands I'm using. I don't want to have to know if they fail silently or not and, you know, try to come up with test cases around each of them. So I, I
0: just assume they're going to fail silently. But if... Well, I, not, a, I of course, I'm a performance junkie. It's not just silently, it's quickly. Yeah. Right? That's the one that drives me mad is rather than checking to see if we had a network connection, you just made calls to it, and each one of them takes 30 seconds to fail.
2: Yeah.
1: WMI is... is very bad around that. Yeah,
0: I'm with you. Cause it's, yeah. and in, the problem is that all of that conditional testing is ugly code. You yep. know, it's not, it's not simple to do, but if you're actually concerned about performance, it can make a big difference.
1: Right. So, you know, you have, you have some commands like, uh, you know, test connection, which returns a boolean. So, you know, you do test connection dollar server name and, you know, pass, pass along your server name to test. So, so if you have if you have test connection server name, it, it kind of reads out okay, but yeah, it's, it's ugly code that kind of, you know, clunks things up. And yep. And, it, and so
0: you'd it, hope that the underlying call would actually make that test for you so that you can write nice explicit calls. The main thing I'm looking for is, did you fail immediately? I'm not right. even going to try and make this call at the network because I don't have a NIC, so I'm out. Thanks.
1: And, and, that, and that's a, you know, that's a, that's a design consideration when you're, when you're developing commands. For sure. And so if anyone here, you know, is developing reusable scripts for people to, uh, to do, to use, you know, take note. <laughs> yeah, do the hard if you're work. Fail, fail. Yeah, do the yeah. checking first. Yeah, fail fast and, you know, let's let, and give an error that somebody can do something.
0: With. Yeah. That, yeah. That, 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 you're exactly right. That, that, that's the key thing. So, Stephen, we're starting to run out of time here. Uh, is there something we've missed? What should, what do we need to talk about with v3 before we're, we're done?
1: Well, we've got just a couple other things I'd like to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, schedule tasks. Scheduled tasks now have native support in PowerShell. Cool. So, um, so you can you know pass a little bit of PowerShell script along, and you have all the scheduling options you would in in the Scheduled Task Manager.
0: Bit by bit, we are putting scripting to away. It's all going to be PowerShell.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you know the uh, scheduled tasks and the workflows and remoting—they all uh, can use the concept of jobs. So the PowerShell job infrastructure is now pluggable. Mm-hmm. So. You know, more and more stuff can work with the same idiom of get job, start job, resume job. Yeah. Um, you have all, you, know, you see the number of the commands to deal with all the stuff that you have to know. stays pretty consistent. Nice. And then uh, WMI got a big time overhaul
0: mm-hmm. in
1: Server 2012 and uh, with the Windows management framework for PowerShell version 3. And that that kind of gave you some of these capabilities to do the uh, do the various, uh, SIM commands is what they call them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which is where they're wrapping up the CDXML. And, uh, SIM is Common Information Model, which is, uh, the standard that WMI is based on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, we were just talking about some of the ugliness in the network connections with, with WMI. Sure. W, WMI calls, uh, when they move them to being called SIM calls, um, are being moved over to the WinRM protocol. Oh, I So we, we can start getting rid of decal.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: and the is Because less wild.
0: DCOM is good.
1: Yep, and to the, and let's move over to WinRM, which is Microsoft's implementation of WS Management. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a DMTF standard that SIM is going to be provided over WS Management. So, other device, other device manufacturers, or hardware manufacturers, or uh, operating system manufacturers can if imp- they're implementing SIM model and doing it over WS management, PowerShell's going to have a native way to talk. to
0: That's great. That's really exciting.
1: Standards is good. And there's one other standards item that uh, I'd like to uh, to get into that uh, Mm -hmm. we have. So uh, a lot of uh, developers in the uh, Microsoft stack are familiar with OData. Yes. And so now Server 2012 has a management OData IIS extension. Huh. And this is a way that you can host an OData feed in IS and back end it by some PowerShell. Interesting. And, and so, you, uh, in a very similar way to you would map, in a way you'd map the WMI calls to uh, PowerShell commands. Yep. You'd map PowerShell commands to your OData feed. Interesting. And
0: yeah, a way to a way to have a cleanly Internet portable diagnostic report from a machine.
1: Correct and. You want to know why this is a, a very nice little feature? Oh. Cloud. Yeah. So no kidding. Cloud, most of your cloud endpoints are only going to be web. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have 43 and, uh, 443 and port 80. Yep. So, uh, how are you going to expose your management functionality? 443 and port
0: 80. Yep. No kidding.
1: And so, you know, this is one way you can provide, uh, and map to the CRUD semantics, the create, read, update, delete semantics of OData. You can put some custom PowerShell behind there, and uh, there's even a, there's even a way to do it uh, to send calls, to do arb- some arbitrary scripting. Now you can lock it down as tight as you need to, because security is definitely a consideration. But uh, you can, uh, and there's some nice samples uh, out on uh, MSDN's uh, code gallery for
0: implementing some of these data mm-hmm. Ia. Awesome. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for filling us in on uh, PowerShell V3. So, it looks like there's some good things out there. Going to move us to 2012 that much faster.
1: Oh, I, I can't wait.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for talking to us, and we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.